0: Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own loss, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We're talking about what this world needs today is Bible preaching and Bible truth. Preachers are going to misplace their words. Preachers are going to say things that. Are going to be not incongruent with the Word of God why because preachers are just men that, that, that's all that's all we are if, if you're a teacher of the Word of God that's all that's all you are you're just being used by God as a teacher you know what it says in verse number two not don't preach you don't preach your opinion don't preach what you think preach the word <laughs> You can't go wrong by preaching the word. Well, where's the word? What's the word? We've got hundreds of versions nowadays. If we all read this verse together, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, it would sound like mumbo jumbo because it's all different versions. It's all different words. No man, nobody has everything figured out. You know what we're told to do? Preach the word. We got to know where it is. I believe I got it right here in English on this pulpit. I believe you've got it right there on your lap. You don't have to doubt it. You can trust it. You can believe it. A perfect Bible, a perfect Bible does not mean a perfect preacher. I saw a sign the other day out in Crossville, and and the sign said, no perfect people allowed. And then the name of the church, to which I said, yeah, no perfect Bibles allowed either. (laughs) You know what? There is no perfect preachers here. There's no perfect people here. But you know what we have amongst an imperfect preacher and and an imperfect group of people that are listening to an imperfect preacher? The perfect word of God. That's what we've got. That's what we're pointing to. This modern deal, where you know, it's almost like they're trying to shine the light on. Well, you see, those—it's a stab at that. That's that's why we we say this this is your grandma's church because the great this modern crowd takes a stab at the old paths, at the old ways. They don't they don't like it. They don't like Bible preaching. They like sharing sharing his care it's almost like they like losing power powers in the word preach the word uh, Bible says the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth don't look for me to do it and don't look for modern scholarship to do it you've got the Holy Spirit it's the same one I've got. He will guide you in all truth. You've got to read, you've got to study your own Bible and not rely on what the preacher says. Okay, so preach the word. Um, Now go to Psalms chapter 19. People say, I don't understand some of the archaic words. And so I I I need another translation so that I can understand the words. Why do you start with that presupposition? Why isn't the presupposition, you know what, Lord? I don't understand. Help me to see. Why is it always an attack on the word of God? I don't understand the archaic word, the dead word that isn't used anymore. The quote unquote false friend, which means it was a word that meant something back in 1600, but now it means something different today, and it will just be a disconnect and people won't get it. Why is the presupposition, well, I don't understand, so I need another translation instead of, I don't understand, Lord, help me to see? And in Psalms chapter 19, this is a great verse. Number seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of The scholars is sure, except no, it's the testimony of the Lord, making wise the simple. The statutes of the theologians are right. No, it's the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. If they're more desirous than gold, I desire the pure word of God more than I desire some modern scholar who spent two to four years studying Greek and Hebrew and can come across pretty theological. But I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid Uh, My fear is in the Lord. I don't want to change his word. And Decade after decade goes by, and and, and revision after revision comes and, and goes, and nobody seems to fear the word of God anymore. It's always an attempt to change it or alter it. There's a new version coming out. Well, we're not, I'm not even going to go down that road. We'll save that for another, for another lesson. Go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. It's a philosophy. It's a presupposition that scholarship onlyism holds. And that is there is no perfect word of God anywhere, except in the originals, which you can't go to because nobody's got them. It's a convenient. It's a convenient doctrine. I mean, all right. So Psalms one hundred and nineteen. Watch what it says in verse number eighteen. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When you don't understand something in the Word of God. It's a word that's hard to understand. Just plead with God to open your eyes. And we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. We'll have fun with some verses. Look at verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. If you're not dead, you're quick. Remember that from last week? How? Thy work. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Will all of these modern scholars please stop dulling the sword? You have got a sharp two-edged sword, and we don't need it dulled. (laughs) It will do its job just fine, which is why all of the great revivals that have happened Was from a preacher holding the King James Bible under his arm. Are you King James only? No, I'm the perfect Bible only. I believe God promised to preserve his word. And I believe in a perfect Bible. Look at verse number 37. Turn away mine eyes. From beholding vanity. And quicken thou me in thy way this world has a deadening influence the word of god and his precepts will have a quickening effect on you quicken thou me in thy way look at verse 38 establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear look at verse number 41 Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to what? Thy word. Look at verse number 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in modern scholars. No, I trust in thy word. It's it's a bit like Roman Catholicism. You really can only have the truth if the Pope or the priest, or the cardinal, or the bishop stands up and speaks to you, and now you can really have, that's Roman Catholicism. The idea that we need a modern scholar, or we need someone that has been schooled in four years of Greek and four years of Hebrew to really unpack the true meaning of the Word of God is Roman Catholicism that has been painted In Protestantism, I don't believe that it's right. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. For thy word hath quickened me. Where are you going to go for comfort? Where are you going to go for comfort? Someone told me this last week. Actually, Charles told me this. I didn't know this. They said, I don't know if he knew if it was a hundred percent true or not, but I, I I'd never heard. It. They said when uh, when Brother Roloff went down on the plane crash and he died, they said that they found him. He was just hugging his Bible. That's some affliction, you know. You're going to go and die and meet your Lord, you know where he found comfort in his last minutes on his life? The word of God. It's about the only thing you've got to cling to in this deadening world. I know we've got work to do here, but at the same time, I wish I wasn't here. You ever have those days? You just, I just wish we just can we just get on with it, Lord. And can you just take us all home? I know we got work to do. But I'm telling you, I find comfort in the word of God. I don't want to change it. I don't want to correct it. I want to study it and fall in love with the author of it. Go back to verse 34. Who gives the understanding? Watch what it says. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yeah, I shall observe it with my whole heart. It's a hard issue. God's going to have to give you understanding. You don't need a linguistic coach to give you an easy word. For you to somehow now come out with better understanding, you need the Spirit of God. He's the one that's going to be able to give it. You can change all the linguistics and the language that you want. If the Holy Spirit don't work in your heart, you're not going to get understanding. You might have a word that's easier, but you won't have a heart. You won't be observing it with your whole heart. Verse 40. I trust in thy. Uh, I'm sorry. Watch verse forty-three and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Look at verse eighty-one in Psalm one nineteen. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Look at verse one o seven. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Psalm nineteen is a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture brings out the importance of the word look at verse 71 it is good for me that i have been afflicted that i may learn thy statutes look at verse 73 thy hands have made me and fashioned me give me understanding that i may learn thy commandments. People have been convinced by this scholarship only as a movement that you just need easier words to understand the word of God. And I guess I'd like to close out this thought by saying you don't need easier words. You need God to open up your heart and your mind and your eyes to the understanding. The linguistics aren't as important as the Holy Spirit moving within you. That's what we need for understanding. Luke 24. So people say, well, I look around, I just see that language changes. So I just believe that the Bible should change because after all, is changing language a sin? Well, no, it's not. But changing the word of God is. And so why would you want to do that? Look at Luke 24. Luke 24, verse number 44. And he said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. This is Jesus speaking that all things must be fulfilled which were written. In the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. How did they get better understanding? There's no mention in this verse of getting rid rid of archaic words that they didn't understand or a word that wasn't in use. God, God himself had to do something. Everybody see that? Who opened their understanding? Jesus did. Why? So that they might understand the scriptures. If you get hung up in the word of God, Your prayer should be, Lord, help me see. Lord, give me understanding. You know, kind of like what you and I do when we're facing a trial or we're getting afflicted, we're going through some type of affliction. What do we do? We pray. Lord, help me. Lord, help this person. In the Bible, if commendeth means show, why doesn't the Bible just say, say show? It's not a valid question. Shouldn't, where does it stop? I mean, should we just tra- change grace to courtesy? <laughs> what Where does it start? Where does it stop? Well, we're saved by God's courtesy. No, we're saved by God's grace. We're not going to change grace because we had to take a few seconds to explain to you what it is. We're not going to change commendeth because you don't like ETH. And we're not going to accept that we have to go by your argumentation. We're not going to change commendeth to show because show is easier to say. We're going to keep it as commendeth, and we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to learn what it means. In other words, we come up with a question, and in our mind, we think it's a valid question because we have more faith and more hope in our own logic, in our own reasoning, in our own ability to put thoughts together, and we have ceased to to. We have ceased to allow the Bible to be what it is, which is a spiritual book revealed by God to us. And we need to ask him to open up our eyes. It's a spiritual book. In Jeremiah 17, you all know the verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Does anybody else have a hard time not trusting their heart? Are the only one that struggles with that? That's a real struggle. Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. (laughs) That's a good verse. Psalm 119, 11, where all thy word have I hid in mine heart. How can I hide it in my heart if every week I've got a scholar telling me it's not right? I can't hide it. You know why it's important to hide the word in your heart so you might not sin against thee? My heart standeth in all of thy word. In all of thy word. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 30. Deuteronomy 30. As you're Turning to Deuteronomy 30, I'll read you Romans 10:8 says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Well, I don't know what the word nigh means. Okay, well, the verse says the word is nigh thee. Uh, and then there's a reference to the heart. So what does it mean? Well, if it's in your heart, it's not far away. It's nigh. What does Deuteronomy 30 say in verse number 14? Here's the cross reference. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. In other words, the word is nigh. It's not all the way over there. It's in my mouth, it's in my heart. It's not over there, it's nigh. Everybody know what it means? Right, did we have to change the word? No, because what they'll say is if I preach this verse as a as, as a preacher of the word of God, and I said, well, the word nigh means near. All they would say is, okay, well, you changed it to near when you were preaching. So why can't a modern translator just change nigh to near and do it ahead of time and put it in print, you know, kind of like you're doing in Word? Now, I will admit, that's a good argument. As preachers, if you're teaching the Word of God, you are expositing that Word. What I am saying right now isn't inspired. It's me trying to help the saints and help myself. But where are we always pointing to? The word. That's right, the word. So I didn't even have to say nigh means near because if I didn't know what the word near meant, it wouldn't make any difference. So pretend you don't even know what the word near meant. When we read nigh and we realize it's not over there, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's nigh. The same we did with the word besom. If you don't know, you pretend you don't even know what the word broom means. Go grab the besom. we're going to do some sweeping. It's the same idea with the word nigh. You don't have to update the language. The doctrine of Moses and the, and the doctrine of the gospel we saw in Romans was nigh. It means it was easily learned. You can obtain it very simply and you can understand it without any problem. If an archaic word blocks meaning, can't we just update it? No, because I am arguing that the archaic word is not blocking meaning. Your heart or my heart is blocking the meaning. I don't have to buy into the argument that presupposes, well, we have to change it because I don't understand the word and it's blocking meaning. Our hearts for the issue. In Mark chapter 7, um, it says um, the coasts of the capitalists. So, what's wrong with just, just changing that to borders of the capitalists? I mean, coasts of the capitalists is kind of archaic. Nobody really says that anymore. It's, it's, it's really borders, would be more modern. Well, it's not archaic anymore because I just used the word. <laughs> so, if you None of the words are archaic Because thousands of people read the King James Bible Every day They're in use Every day But you know what's interesting None of these modern scholars Call up the Coast Guard and say Why don't we change it to the Borders Guard They don't have the courage or the bravery to do that But they seem to have the courage or the bravery To go to the Word of God and say You know let's change it to Try that with the military. They won't. There's a bias against the Bible. Okay, this this gospel tract. How many of you have gotten a few of these, handed some of these out? These really came out sharp. And it says, uh, it's Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And then I, the NIV in 1984, it read like this, the wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. Newsflash, the righteous and the unrighteous all go to the grave. What? You couldn't put the NIV on this gospel tract. That's the most ridiculous translation of that verse that I've ever heard. And I have no training in textual criticism or Greek or Hebrew or, boy, oh, boy. It makes no sense. In 2011, they updated it, Psalms 9, verse 17, and it says, the wicked go down to the realm of the dead and all the nations that forget God. You know what the realm of the dead refers to? The afterlife. Guess what everybody that dies goes to? The afterlife. It's not a better translation. 63 times i think i think the niv uses sheol instead of hell everything that we've gone through doesn't that seem a little odd based on the argument of archaic words and i can't understand the words think about it sheol or hell why would you change hell that many times and then argue The King James Bible has too many words that we can't understand. Hell's easier to understand. We'll do a lesson on that whole thing on Sheol later, but they would argue, well, it's okay. They can translate to Sheol or hell because we have many Bibles to choose from and you poor King James only is you only have one. So I don't buy that as a legitimate argument. I buy that as just more, more confusion. They argue that the word has to be intelligible. I argue that our hearts have to be opened and we have to ask the Lord to help us understand. They argue that we should be free to pick and choose words. Why? I argue that we should be free to study one Bible so that there's unity around the word of God. And When we come across a difficult word, we learn it and we study it when we get better for it. Go to Second Chronicles. Let's look at a few. Go past Samuel. Go first past Kings, and you'll come to the, you'll come to the Chronicles and go to Second Chronicles. Go to chapter number thirteen. This is something you can figure out on your own by reading. Verse number twelve, Second Chronicles 13, verse 12. Behold, God himself is with us, for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. Verse 13. Here comes an archaic word, by the way. Trigger warning. Archaic word coming up. Everybody ready? But Jeroboam caused an amb- an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried on the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. So what do you got going on? You got a battle. You got fighting. You got captains. And you got an ambushment. Everybody knows what that is, right? It's an archaic word. But it is an archaic word because we just used it and it's easy to understand in the context of the passage I don't even have to explain to you what it is You can get it in the context Okay, go to Deuteronomy the dreaded Old Testament passage of Deuteronomy 22 Watch what it says in verse number nine. Deuteronomy 22, verse number nine. Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers' seeds. How many of you reading this verse think that God is sending a deep sea diver into? You have to be strung out on something to get that out of the passage. Oh, no, I don't know what to do. It says divers. Somebody call a Greek or Hebrew scholar. This is just too much. I'm triggered. I need Plato. I need another word. This word is not used. It's not used nowadays. Somebody's going to think God sent him a sea diver. Would anybody get that idea from from, from reading the verse? Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Now, let's get some understanding by reading the context of the chapter. Look at verse number five. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. A man wears something different than a woman. There's women garments and there's men's garments. And God brings out in that verse that they're different. And at the end of the verse, in verse 5, he says, All that do so, not just the nation, all that do so would be an abomination. So you got a man and you got a woman. Are they different? You have clothes for a man, garments for a man, garments for a woman. They're different. It's easy in the context. Verse number six, if a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. But thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. Do you know what God says? You're going to do something different with the dam. Let that dam go. And you're going to do something with the young ones. You can keep them. Why? I don't know. He wanted he to... Wanted the dam to be able to populate some more Birds or something You have something You're going to do with the dam and you have something You're going to do with the with the young right They're different things Look at verse You know what we're doing we're studying the bible Look at verse number 8 When thou buildest a new house Then shall thou make a Battlement oh no it's, a, it's An archaic word we have to We have to call the the Greek scholars. It says (laughs) battlement. I don't know why people get so triggered when they read a word that they haven't read before. It's almost like they're insulted. How could God put a word in there that I haven't used for a decade? (laughs) Brother, you studied archaic Greek and archaic Hebrew for four years. I'm going to explain this to you in about a minute. (laughs) Save your 20 grand, come here and you'll get it for free. I mean, it's not, it battles my mind. Oh no, battlement came up. But you need a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. Houses in those days had flat roofs. We don't so much have flat roofs anymore, but in those days, they did. They built them with flat roofs. I guess you can still find flat roofs in in some rich neighborhoods, but you know what they did on the roofs? They mingled. The children played. They conducted business. They probably had prayer and worship on the roof. That's pretty cool. And it says that thou bring not blood upon thine house. The principle here, God's trying to get the nation to understand is that human life matters. If you're going to have a roof and you're going to have children playing. You're going to have to make a battlement for thy roof. Because the end of the verse says, if any man fall from thence." He's addressing the selfishness of Israel's heart and that nation's heart by letting them know, look, human life matters. God's not going to allow them to get away with just thinking they're going to have to be responsible for themselves. So God put in place for the nation, you're going to have to build a battlement on your roof. Because human life matters. So now you just learned what battlement means. And I never changed the word battlement. You don't want your kids falling off your flat roof, do you? So build a battlement. What's a battlement? A battlement. Stop thinking that you know what the word fence means or guardrail. Pretend you don't even know what those words mean. You're on the roof. God said, what did he say? Don't bring blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. So, you don't want somebody to ball, fall off your roof, build a battlement. See Eric on that. He, he can, hashtag Eric can build it. You don't have to say raised wall. Everybody from reading the context knows what the battlement is. Boy, oh boy, we got so far off track. What were we trying to understand? Divers. Divers. So, now we come to verse number nine. We saw that there were different garments. We saw there were different things to do with birds. Look at verse 10. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts, as of woolen and linen, together. If it's not the same, if it's not together, it's divers. If you put an E at the end of that word, it's diverse. I don't even have to tell you that divers means different. Because when you read and study the Bible, you got that with no problem from reading the context of the passage. We don't even have to change the word to get the meaning. We have to read and study like God wants us to. So now we know what a battlement is. Now we know what divers is. Um. All right, let's do, uh, oh boy, i got to move along. Let's do Ezra. Keep turning. Go past 2 Chronicles. And right past 2 Chronicles, you'll come to the book of Ezra. And go to chapter number 4. Go to chapter number 4 of the book of Ezra and go to verse number 13. Okay, trigger warning. Here comes an archaic word. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom? And so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. And I'm not even going to tell you what endamage means because you can read it and you can figure out what it means by reading it within its context. I don't have to change the word. You read the context. You know what it means. You say, I'm not sure. All right, ask the Lord to open up your eyes. Read it again. Read the verses before. Read the verses after. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at a few more and then we'll wrap it up. Go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 15. Okay, now trigger warning. This is going to be a false friend. It may have meant one thing in 1611. Now it means something else nowadays. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The ESV, the New King James, the NASV, and the NIV all change that word to proceed. Prevent, it means a pre-event. A pre-event. That's what it means in the context. Now, I told you what it meant, proceed. But, you know, I've been trying not to do that so that the argument isn't brought against me. Well, I see you changed the Bible. You just didn't put it in print in the translation. Look at verse 16 and 17, and let's get context. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Simple, who rises first? Those already dead and who died in Christ. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Who goes first? Those that already died in Christ. Who goes second? We which are alive and remain. If we would be caught up tonight, that's how it would go. So now read verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not pre-event, prevent them which are asleep. It's the pre-event. It's who goes first, who goes second. That's all that is. You know what bugs me about these modern translators? The NASB, the New King James, the NIV, and the ESV all translate that to proceed. Because they say it's easier to understand. You know what other words in that verse? Asleep. You know what all four of those modern versions keep? They keep the word asleep. Isn't that a false friend? You have to do some Bible study to understand that asleep in this context means what? Dead. And you got to study the Bible and get the context to understand that. But they don't, ch- the modern versions don't change asleep, they keep asleep. They change prevent to proceed. Wouldn't it be easier to just say dead in their view? That's an odd one. You got two words that they could have changed and they changed prevent and not asleep. What do you think? Everybody's taking a nap. I mean, come on. That's what we're all going to do tonight. We're going to go to sleep. Are we going to die? No. Because we get the meaning of the word from the context and then we pray to God to open up our eyes to understand. We know that a in the context means dead. Why? Because we studied the Bible. How many of you know what vexed, yoke, in as much or asunder means? And do you use that in sentences every day? They're archaic words, aren't they? They're found in the NIV. These modern scholars that argue for archaic words have them in their Bibles. Archaic words aren't the problem. It's, Lord, help me understand. My heart's the problem. How many of you know what deride, hastily, and ravening is? They're archaic words, or they're false friends, or they're dead words, whatever you want to call them. You know where they're found? The New American Standard Bible. They all have them. And when your child starts learning English in the first grade, all the words are archaic words and dead words. They don't know what any of them means. You got to teach them. Eventide, Sadie, Plowshare, paramours, Beggarly. If I were to give you a vocabulary test on those words, would you get them? They're archaic words. Found in the New King James Bible. All of them have archaic words. Archaic words isn't the problem. Lord, open up my eyes so they may see. I'll leave you with this. Go back to the Old Testament. And we'll wrap up Exodus 5 and Deuteronomy 4. Show you one last thing. Deuteronomy 4, Exodus 5. We'll do Exodus 5 first. I don't have to give you a trigger warning. You've been triggered so many times that you're numb to it. So here comes another archaic word. Uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse number 18. Go, therefore, now work, for there should be no straw be given you, yet you ye shall deliver the tail of the bricks. Man, Israel's really afflicted. No more straw. You need to produce the same amount of bricks, but we ain't giving you any straw to do it. My, my, my. That's tough. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were an evil case after it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. Minish. Everybody knows what minish means by reading it. All right, read verse 7 in the same chapter. Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tell the bricks which ye did not make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish, all. therefore, for ye be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. If you read the chapter a few verses before, the Bible would have defined what minish means. It's just another form of saying the word diminish. Diminish. That's what it means. And we got it right from reading the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, last verse. Last verse. Verse 2, Deuteronomy 4:2, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. It's a warning from God to the nation that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Because if you diminish from the word, you won't be able to keep what God told you to do. And that's why we don't diminish. From the word look at verse one now, therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments that I teach you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. I bet if it was life and death, you wouldn't second guess God's word. God told that nation, Don't diminish from it. Keep it. Don't alter it. Don't change it. Don't correct it. Don't retranslate it. You keep it. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.